I have a question for you today. A very simple question, very easy one for you to answer. What does love look like? What does love look like? Second question is, what does it feel like to be loved? What does it look like to be loved? What does it feel like to be loved? This is a really good question because each of us have a bunch of different answers that we could give because love is an abstract emotion. It's different for each person. So each of us today could have a different response, a different answer to what love is. But that doesn't stop people from trying to figure out what is love? How do we know when you are in love? Scientists have tried to figure out what is going on in our bodies when a person falls in love. So there are scientific experiments where they are looking at the brainwave activity of a person who is in love, as well as the chemical reactions that are produced in a body when that person is in love. It's really fascinating what they have discovered with the release of different uh, chemical components and how your brain uh, functions in different ways. Uh, other people try to explain love in psychological ways, where they look at our emotional component, our, our head, the things that we respond to psychologically. How do we really relate to love psychologically? And then there are others who look at love in a different way. They try to understand what love is based on research studies. So they'll take a group of people, put them in a room, and just listen to their stories, trying to find anecdotal or experiential ways to understand what is love. What is true love? Some people say that there is a lot of things going on in our bodies. Some say that following, falling in love often leads to this emotional and physiological instability where you, you bounce between moments where you're filled with uh, this incredible feeling of exhilaration and euphoria. But then there's also loss of appetite and, and sleeplessness and increased energy and your heart is racing and accelerated breathing. But then there's also on the other side, anxiety and, and panic and this fear and despair whenever our relationship suffers even the smallest setback. Some people say that if you are truly in love, it's going to have some components to it. So your love will feel safe. You'll feel safe with that other person, or you'll feel that there's a connection, or that true love feels like acceptance, where they look at you and they see the real you, not a projection of you, the real you. True love feels comforting, where you can be yourself around them. True love feels stable. It doesn't go anywhere, and it feels selfless. Basically, if you do anything physically, emotionally, or mentally for the benefit of another person, oftentimes uh, sacrificing your own wants and desires, they say, trust that you're in love. Some just simply say, I just want to be loved like Noah loves Allie in the notebook. If you know, you know. If you don't know, you should probably watch the movie. But if you do watch the movie, make sure you have a box of tissues handy because you will need them. I think that the real reason why we have such a difficult time understanding and defining love is because our culture, our society has portrayed love in a different way. It's promoted love as being a great and powerful emotional feeling, but one that comes and goes. 
it's also portrayed as something that's conditional or self-gratifying. But I think what the main reason is why we have such a difficult time defining what real love is, is because we have taken God out of the love equation. And as a result, people have run rampant trying to find love everywhere they possibly can, only to find themselves finding it in places that are detrimental and destructive to them, destroying even who God has created them to be. It's very difficult for us to understand love with taking God out of the equation. See, society has hidden the true meaning of the love of God. But when we experience it, when we discover God's love, then we become conduits of that love to a lost and dying world. And in that moment, heaven and earth meet because people on this earth will see God's love truly displayed in the lives of his people. In other words, what I'm trying to get at is the big idea for today. And it's this. When we really, truly grasp the reality of God's love, we will live out God's love. When we truly grasp the reality of God's love, we will live out God's love. That's precisely what the Apostle John is going to teach us this morning. He's going to give us not just this incredible definition and treaties on love, but he's going to go beyond to show how this love impacts our lives and gives us an obligation to love in the same way that God does. Let's read together what John says. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. Sort of the back of your Bible, just before Revelation. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read uh, verses 7 through 12. Today I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. John says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. John's first words communicate exactly what he's going to try to get across through this passage. He says, dear friends, beloved, loved ones, let us continue to love one another. And he's saying that, as you saw, as a fellow follower of Jesus, saying, I want to show that I'm trying to be loving myself, and I want to say we're in this community together. Love is the core component of that community. So let us continue to love one another. And what is first and foremost in his mind is that if we claim to be followers of Jesus, as he's been trying to get across in his whole letter, how do we know that we truly have this relationship with God? Well, it shows up in our lives in a few different ways. One of which is that we love other people. And John is saying, if, if you want to prove that you are in a genuine relationship with God, then you are going to need to be loving. Let us continue to love one another. You have to be connected to love. 
When we grasp the reality of God's love, we will live out God's love. And there's only one way to do that. We have to connect to the source of that love. We have to be connected to the source of love, and that's God. John says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Right from the start, John is telling us that if we are going to love at all, it's only because of our connection to the source of love, and that is God himself. It isn't that our theory of love is divine and by which we can define God. Rather, it's the other way around. God is the source and the origin of love, so he provides meaning to what love is. He is the one who's going to tell us this is what love is. This is what love looks like. We can't look at our definitions of love and saying this is what love means, this is what love looks like, so therefore that's who God is. This is how God loves, the way that I think love is. We've had it reversed. What John is saying is the opposite. God is the source. He is the origin of love. Because God is love. Not just that things that he does are loving, which he'll communicate quite a bit, but that the essence of love, the core of love, the meaning, the definition, everything you can think of that love is, that's God. God is the one who defines it. Everything he does is loving. doesn't mean that just something that he does, everything he does, when he acts in judgment, it's in love. When he acts in mercy, it's in love. When he creates, it's in love. When he disciplines, it's in love. Everything that he does is because of his love. So since God is the source of love, then it only makes sense that if we are connected to him, If we say that we have a relationship with him, if God is our father, then of course we are going to display that same characteristic. We are going to love just like God loves. That's what John says. Everyone who has been born of God loves like God loves. That's a key component of our lives. The implication is this, that if we are connected to him, we can't help but love. Listen, we cannot be in a relationship with a loving God without being transformed into a loving person. We cannot come into a real relationship with a loving God without being transformed into a loving person. Now, John's going to talk a little bit later about how we're obligated to love in this way. But right now, he's doubling down on the fact that if we claim to have a relationship with God, the genuine connection with him, then we need to have the same kind of love that God has for us. But like John does very often, he's going to flip the script. He's going to say it the opposite way. So if you have been born of God and you know God, you're going to love like God. But if you don't love, you don't know God. If you don't love, you don't know God. Now, I don't know about you, but my mind immediately races to the fact, well, hold on a second, John. I don't think that you are really rooted in reality because there are millions of people in this world who love. There are millions of people in this world who have a compassion toward others, who want to help other people, who do everything for others, who sacrifice for others' benefits. But they have no relationship with God. So how do you explain that, John? That the person who does not know God does not love? 
what John is trying to communicate is this, that there are some elements going on here that are a little bit different. What John is, is saying is, sure, there's a, an ability to love because God has created each of us in his own image. And part of the image of God is that he is love. So a component of every single human being is that they have the capacity to love. But what John is trying to communicate, not just here, but back in chapter 3, verse 23, is that belief comes before love. Love is the effect, the result of that belief. So we need to have that relationship with God first, the true connection to him, that incredible source of love. And as a result, we are going to love in the same way that God loves, sacrificially. So while our image may be defaced by the fall, it is not destroyed. People have the capacity to love. But there's a different kind of love for those who have a relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God, if you claim to have a connection with the God who is love, you must be a loving person. To say that you are not loving or a loveless Christian is like saying one of my closest friends is from Japan and I don't speak Japanese and he doesn't speak English. Or to say that I am born from parents and I have no resemblance in any shape or form to them. If we don't love in the same way that God loves, then it shows that maybe we don't have a connection to him after all. That's a big point, because if we are going to live out the love of God, we have to be connected to the source of that love. And maybe you are here today, and you've never been connected to that love. You've never seen or, or felt or experienced the love of God. This is the day that you can do that. You can experience God's love for you through what he has done in Jesus. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what that looks like in a moment but maybe some of you are here today and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have a genuine connection with God who is love. But maybe you're noticing that your life is not as loving as it ought to be. Maybe there's something that's hindering that love from flowing to and through you. As I said before, when we discover and experience God's love, we become the conduit of that love but maybe something is blocking the pipe. Maybe today we need to evaluate what's going on in our lives. Why am I not exhibiting God's love like I ought to? Maybe there's some selfishness and some sin that's clogging the pipe, that's preventing God's love from coming to you, you experiencing it, and then flowing through you so that others can experience God's love. Maybe today we need to spend some time flushing the pipe out, Allowing God's love to flow to us and through us by removing those things in our lives. And John moves on from this saying, not only do we need to connect to the source of love, but we need to really just take a moment and understand what real love looks like. What does real love look like? That's what John is going to talk about next. What does real love look like? In his commentary on 1 John, David Jackman writes these three words at the last part of verse 8 form one of the most profound statements in all of the whole Bible. And perhaps for many people, three of the hardest words to believe. God is love. 
When we think of this grubby little tennis ball of a planet floating in infinite space, and when we think about our lives as just a moment in the onward surge of time, and our individual lives as just one in countless millions, how can we meaningfully talk about God's love for us? When we realize that there are nearly 8 billion people alive today, and if you look at, or go and, and do some research, you'll find that the Population Revenue Bureau says that at, all throughout time, there have pr probably been 117 billion people born on planet Earth. With all those people, how was it possible to really speak meaningfully of God loving us? And when we look at the evil and the suffering in this world, the broken and the ruined lives that we see day after day, we start to wonder, if God is love, why are these things so prevalent? When we look at the magnitude of who God is, how great and majestic and infinite he is, we tend to think that God is too big. This world is too big. There's too many people for him to notice me, for him to love me. But I want to tell you that it is because God is so big, because he is so infinite, he can be focused on your tiny life. That is what makes God's love so hard for us to believe. So John says, let me tell you, you need to be connected to God. If you're connected to God, you'll understand that God is the source of love. He is love. But then he goes on, he says, let me show you what that love looks like. Let me show you what real love looks like. He says in the next verses, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Because God is spirit and we can't see spirit and because love is abstract and we can't see love, God says, I'm going to show you what love is like and I'm going to send myself. I'm going to send my son there to this earth. God showed his great love by sending his one and only son to this world. And when John says his one and only son, he's not trying to single out that it's just one son of God. He's trying to put Jesus in the most prized and special place. What he's saying is, look, God is saying, I want to show you how much I love you. I'm going to take my most prized possession, the heart that I have, the apple of my eye, and I'm going to send him to the earth as a sacrifice for others. That was an enormous sacrifice, an incredible display of love. Here we see the two factors of what real love looks like. On one hand, it's self-sacrifice. And on the other hand, it's action done for the benefit of others. Self-sacrifice, action done for the benefit of others. In this sense, God is taking what is most important, most special to him, and that's Jesus, and is sending him as a sacrifice for the benefit of others so that we, helpless and broken people, can have life through him and him only. 
this is amazing news. God had only one son, and he was sent into a hostile environment, into a rebel world on a rescue mission to redeem and reconcile us back into a relationship with God. This is love. This is love. And the way that we are brought back into relationship with him is through what Jesus did for us. John says that the way that we are brought back into relationship is because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Or in some of your translations, it'll say sacrifice for our sins. What John is, is using is a word behind there called helasmos. And what it is, is it means a sacrifice. It's only used twice in the entire New Testament, both times in John's letter. Six times it was used in the Greek version of the of the Old Testament, every time it's used, it relates to the forgiving or the taking away of sins because of sacrifice. So what John is making explicitly clear is that the only way that we can have a relationship with God is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf, him substituting for us. So he comes and he substitutes his perfect life for the imperfect life that each of us has. None of us could live a perfect life. So Jesus comes and lives a perfect life. And then he dies in our place taking on himself the full wrath of God for our sins, the punishment that we were destined to take, Jesus took for us. And then three days later, he did what none of us could do. He raised from the dead, conquering death. That is love. He did all of that for us so that we could be in relationship with him. And it is only through that sacrifice that we can have that relationship. That is the best gift you and I will ever receive. But it gets better. It gets even better. John says something that is so amazing. He says this, this is love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Everything that is done right here is initiated by God, by his free, spontaneous, unconditional act of love. It is not that we wanted to go halfway saying, look at my great effort, God, and then God meets us halfway and then the plan of salvation comes. No, it is all entirely only by God's act of love for us. You see, in the ancient world, people only loved those who were worthy of love. Those who were worthy of being loved were deserving of love. But God is saying, I loved you not because you loved me, but because you were unlovable, but because of my love. It is incredible when you think of the greatness of, of God's love. And the greatness of his love is seen in the costliness of his sacrifice that he sent Jesus for us when not only did we not love him, but we didn't want to be loved by him. We were rebels armed to the teeth against him, clinging hard to the sin that was in our lives because that was what our desire was. But God, who is so loving, broke through that and came to this earth for us who are undeserving. We need to realize once and for all that if it wasn't for Jesus, we would have absolutely no hope for forgiveness and mercy. No hope for a relationship with God. No hope for the future. 
No way of salvation. And what Paul says is so true in Romans chapter 5. He says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, no one is likely to die for a good person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Man, that's amazing. This is love. This is what love is like. Some of us fail to grasp the greatness of God's love. And I want to sit here and I want to tell you how amazing it is. But one of the people that have influenced me more than anyone else in history, than a few other people, his name is Brennan Manning, and his idea and concept and understanding of God's love is so deep and so rich that I cannot communicate it well enough like he can. So I want you to listen to his words and have him explain the greatness of what God's love is like. Listen to this. Your Christian life and mine don't make any sense unless in the depth of our beings we believe that Jesus not only knows what hurts us, but knowing seeks us out whatever our poverty, whatever our pain. His plea to his people is tonight, his promise to us, come to me. Come to me, not to church, not to a Bible study, not to an annual conference, but you come to me. And don't wait till you got your head on straight, your act cleaned up, you're free of sin, selfishness, dishonesty, degraded love, but come now wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, empty, depressed, tilting toward despair, and I'll meet you where you live. And I'll love you as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. Do you really believe this? That with all the wrong turns you made in your past, the mistakes, the detours, the moments of selfishness, dishonesty, and degraded love, this moment, do you really believe that Jesus Christ loves you. Not the person next to you, not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, not the church, not the world, but that he loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity. That he loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain without caution, regret, boundary, limit, breaking point, no matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. This is the Jesus of the Gospels, the Jesus of my own journey. This is not something I read in a book or heard in a sermon. This is the Christ that by the grace of God I've met in my own life. Amazing. Do you know that kind of love? Have you experienced the love of Jesus like this? Do you believe that God really unconditionally, fully, and completely loves you. God says, I've loved you and I'm going to show you how by sending my son. If you are here today and you have never, ever reached out to him, today is that day that you get to feel what real love feels like and experience it for yourself as you reach out in faith and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I trust in Jesus alone for my salvation. I would love if you would do that today and respond in faith. 
for those of you who have a relationship with God through Jesus, what does that do when you hear words like that, when we sit and contemplate the greatness of what God has done for us? I hope that it shakes you and reminds you of how much that you are loved. Jesus gave us a way to remember that love by instituting what we call communion. You've also heard of it as the Lord's table or the, it was also the Last Supper. If you have the elements, would you pull them out for a moment? Jesus set this up and the Apostle Paul reiterated what Jesus had said, saying that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What Jesus is saying is my life I'm giving for yours. My life I'm giving for yours because I love you. Would you join me and let's take this together, remembering Christ who has broken for us. In the same manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the remission of your sins. Jesus is saying that this is my life that I give for your life because I love you. His life was taken on the cross so that we could experience eternal life with him in heaven. Would you join me as we drink this together? Jesus says that when we do this, we remember him and proclaim him until he returns. Truly the sending of Jesus is one of the most phenomenal displays of love. It is how God showed us that he loved us and is the very essence of love. All of our love is just a reflection of what God's love is like. And that's what John is going to say in the last section. He says that there's a response that we should have. We should respond in the same kind of love to others. We should respond with the same kind of love to others, if we have received this kind of love, how can we remain unmoved by that love? And furthermore, how could we remain unobligated by that love? Listen to what John says. He says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. If we have seen God's love, how can we remain unchanged and unfazed by this love? If we have seen and our eyes been aware of and our hearts being awakened to this magnitude of love, how can we remain unchanged? How can we go back to a life of selfishness and self-focus? If we have been to the cross and seen the unmerited, unbelievable love of God, we can't. And that's what John is saying. And by the way, John is not saying, I'm going to give you a get out of love free card by saying this is just a response to love God. That's not what he's saying. In fact, you'll be hard pressed to find an obligation to love God as a response for our love for him or his love for us. That's not there. What John is saying is if we have seen the greatness of God's love, if we have experienced that kind of love, we will love in that same kind of way. We will love with the same sacrificial, life-giving kind of love that God had for us. 
Do we love in that kind of way? That's the bigger question for us. Do we love in that way, the way that God loves us unconditionally, sacrificially, freely for the good of others? Now, most likely, this is not going to require you at some point in your life to give up your child for someone else to live. It may not require you to fall in a grenade to save other people. It may not require you emptying your bank account to meet the needs of others. It may, but it may not. Most likely, there will be times, though, where your pursuit of loving God and loving others will result in you putting away or aside a desire that you may have, choosing to spend your time in ways that maybe you hadn't planned, resources that you have, or caring for somebody who is extremely difficult. You know, I didn't fully understand what it meant to love sacrificially until I had kids. Then I really understood what it meant to love sacrificially. All those nights that were spent sleepless because our babies were up and needing to be fed or the diapers changed, sacrificing my sleep. Then it became sacrificing my hard-earned money. I don't even get to spend my money anymore. It all goes to the family to pay for food and, and shelter and, and clothes and everything else. I don't even get to buy toys anymore. It also comes with uh, the kids eating the last of my favorite ice cream, which happens all the time. Sacrifice, in that sense, is not really that tough, but I understood, and I got to under understand and experience it more when I had kids, that I'm living my life for someone else and for their benefit, because I love them. I want the best for them. And that's what John is saying here, that love is the greatest motivation for loving other people. There will be times when you will be motivated to love other people, and it's going to be difficult for you, because you're going to have to look past the appearance of the person that is standing in front of you and see that there's a lost and hurting soul that's behind that. And you'll have to love them. There might be times when you'll have to love somebody who's making a difficult decision and they keep on making difficult decisions and you can't do anything to stop them and you just have to love them anyways through it. There might be times when you are presented with a need and you have to give sacrificially to meet that need. Sometimes you'll feel your heart breaking as people just throw their lives away. Maybe you'll have to learn that there is a way that we have to love that goes beyond the appearance of people or the political affiliation that they have or the music that they listen to. Maybe your love is going to take you beyond your comfort zone to reach people who have never heard the gospel before or even to share the gospel with someone you know. Your love for others will push you outside of those moments to just demonstrate real and true love. And we're going to do that because we have experienced God's love. We have understood how great his love is for us. And we're going to display it because that's God moving through us and showing his love through us. He's given us both the resources and the empowerment to love other people the way that he loves us. John is going to close with an incredibly powerful statement 
that will hopefully motivate us to love even more. At the very end, after he's talking about this obligation to love, he's saying this, that the only way that many people will ever get to experience God, will ever know what he's like, will ever get a taste of what his love is, is when we live that love out in our lives. John says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Do you know that at the very beginning of his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 18, he says the same words, no one has seen God. Here in chapter 4, no one has seen God. What John is saying is, no one sees God really who he is. In John chapter 1, it says, but the Son has revealed him, has made him accessible so we can know this God. But in this case, John takes it a step further saying, listen, no one has seen God, but when you love each other with the same kind of love that God has, they get to see God through you. So we need to exhibit God through our love to show off how amazing God is by the way that we love each other. It's amazing what God can do in and through us when we love like he has loved us. God is invisible. There's no way that people can really see him. Jesus, when he was on earth, he was the visible manifestation of God. We got to see, touch, feel him, listen to him. But now he's ascended to heaven. How do we experience God now? It's through his people. Through us who love like Jesus does. To say it another way, if, if people want to truly know what God is like and to see Jesus, they will need to see him in the lives of his followers as they love others with his love and meet him in the churches that are the dispensaries of that love. We will show off God by the way we love our, our friends, our enemies, our neighbors, our families. One of the greatest displays of a life change was my grandfather. I grew up with my grandfather uh, being disconnected, disengaged. When I would go over to their house, I would spend all the time with my grandmother and not my grandfather. My grandfather was a hard man, quiet man, but he had no desire to go to church, no desire to be in relationship with, with God. But my grandmother loved Jesus with all of her heart and prayed for him every day and loved him in a sacrificial, selfless way for years. And then one day, things clicked with him. And you could see the joy on his face. You could see his life completely change. When he understood the love that God had for him and gave himself to God, received Jesus as a savior, it changed his life. He became the most outgoing, loving person I've ever met. We couldn't go anywhere in town without people recognizing my grandfather and talking with him and wanting to have a conversation with him. He showed life change by the way he loved other people. He impacted far more people in the last part of his life because of his relationship with Jesus than he ever did before. The change came because he understood the love of God and he lived out that love in an amazing way. 
One of my favorite stories in the Bible is a time when Jesus was having a special meal with a leading prestigious ruler, religious leader of the day. His name was Simon, and he went to Simon's house by invitation. A lot of great people were there, very important people. And Jesus was sitting down having a conversation with everyone there at the table. And then in comes this woman, the kind of woman where everyone stops talking and looks because of what she looks like and because of who they know her to be. They say that she is a lady of the city. Most likely she is a prostitute. She has heard from Jesus who he is and what he is like and the message he has and how much he loves people. And she comes in and she goes behind Jesus and lays at his feet and she starts weeping because of the weight of her sins and how much she craves to be loved and is pouring down on his feet and she takes her hair and wipes them, dries his feet with her hair. Then she takes out a jar of the most expensive perfume available of the day her most prized possession, and she breaks it open and anoints his feet. The smell permeates throughout the room. Then you have Simon, the host of the day. He mumbles under his breath. If he only knew who this woman was, he would never let her touch him. Jesus says, Simon, when I came in, you didn't give me any of the courtesies that are normal for a host. You didn't anoint my head. You didn't wash my feet. But this woman has done all of those things. Let me tell you a story. He said a landowner had two slaves. Each of them asked to borrow some of money. One borrowed 500 pieces of silver. The other one borrowed 50. Knowing that neither one of them could repay that debt, he called them to himself and said, I forgive you. You don't have to pay it back. It's all forgiven. Said, Simon, which one of them would love more? He said, well, obviously the one who was forgiven much. He said, this woman, her sins are great and many, but she has been forgiven. The person who has been forgiven much loves much. How can we love this way? How can we who have been rescued by God, who have been forgiven from many sins ourselves, love in that way? What kind of change would that make in your life if you loved others the way that God loves you? What kind of change would that make in our church, in our world, if we loved like God loves us? What would it look like if we saw behind the people who come to us, those who are hurt, those who are downcast, jaded, confused, overwhelmed, dejected, degraded, filthy sinners? And what if we loved them with a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, free, unmerited love that God wants to love them through us? Would that not change this world? Can we love the way that God has loved us? You see, when we connect with a source of love, when we understand the reality of God's love, when we respond with the same kind of love to others, and when we exhibit God's love through our love, we become the cure. The cure for this world is love. 
cure for fighting is love. The cure for insecurity is love. The cure for a broken relationship with God is love. The cure for everything is love. And we have that love. Let's take that love. Let it flow through us and impact the world God has brought us into. God, we thank you for your love for us, a love that goes beyond bounds and and measure. God, we look at the sacrifice of Christ for us and see clearly what love is really like. God, empower us, motivate us, inspire us to love like that so that others may experience you as well. We ask in Jesus' name.